Every week I'm encouraged by the prayers and praises uh, as we share our um, trials and triumphs together as a family and uh, as we uh, commit them to the Lord. Amen? Amen. So, um, this morning, uh, as I said, I'm going to take a little break from uh, Joshua, uh, but not with the Holy Spirit. Uh, irony is, as I was uh, thinking about what to preach on this week regarding the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit led me to something else. And uh, so if you look at the, the front of your bulletin, uh, you'll see the words, the heart of Christ in the heart of the community. So when I was first exploring the possibility of sending my application information to this church, you know, a year ago, that, that slogan really stood out to me. The slogan says a lot about this church, but in only a few words. Uh, but I, I think it's more than just a slogan. It's, uh, it's, it's more than uh, just a church motto. Uh, to me, I see it as more of a mission statement. Uh, over the years, I found that uh, mission statements are very important to many churches. Uh, for good or bad, uh, churches spend a lot of time debating and discussing their mission statements. So I looked up uh, uh, one definition of a mission statement is that it, it's defined as a one sentence statement describing uh, the reason an organization exists. So one sentence statements describing the reason an organization exists and it's used, the mission statement is used to help guide decisions about priorities, actions and responsibilities. So uh, essentially a mission statement is, is what you do. Uh, so I, I looked up some other church uh, mission statements. Uh, some are, are really short. Uh, there's, there's a church in uh, Florida, Making Disciples, two words. Uh, another one in San Diego, Save, Equip, and Send. Um, Australia, Know Jesus and Make Jesus Known. I like that one. And then one of the longest I found was uh, a church in San Diego, uh, turning the hearts of youth and families to God and each other. Uh, developing our God-given potential in order to win in every, every area of our lives. And advancing the kingdom of God first throughout our circles of influence, uh, then the nations abroad. So they, they kind of break the one-sentence rule there. <laughs> so it's uh, 40 words, three sentences. So, so our mission statement says that we are to be, I'm adding the to be, uh, it's implied, the heart of Christ in the heart of the community. And using our definition uh, for a mission statement, the heart of Christ in the heart of the community should, at least in part, uh, help guide decisions about priorities, actions, and responsibilities. Um, so, Again, we're going to talk about that mission statement this morning. So first, we're going to talk about well, what, what exactly is the heart of Christ? And uh, secondly, how do we get a heart like Christ's? And then third, how do we live having a Christ-like heart? In other words, what might it actually look like to be the heart of Christ in the heart of the community? So let's pray. Father, we thank You. Uh, for the privilege of being in this place, Lord, at this time.
Lord, according to your uh, sovereign will, Lord, in this, this small town, this small farming community, Lord, and um, where we're, we're surrounded uh, people, by people who don't know you, Lord, uh, or people who don't uh, think they need you, Lord, and people who probably just don't even know that you exist, Lord. And uh, you've uh, given us a responsibility in part to share the knowledge of you with our community, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us with that, Lord. That you would help us to get to know you, Lord, so that we can share that knowledge with other people, Lord. So we thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord, and we thank you for this gathering this morning, and we pray in Jesus' name. So as you know, in Scripture, the heart is considered the emotional and spiritual and mental center of a person. I mean, we, we say things like, I love you with all my heart, or, or we say, let's, let's get to the heart of the matter. And, and this is how the words uh, most often used in Scripture it's used uh, uh, some 105 times in 98 different verses uh, in the New Testament, and it means the center of who we really are, the, the epi epicenter of our being. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, the word for heart is often uh, interchangeable with the word for mind. Uh, so that, that gives us a clue into the idea of how uh, the heart is the center of our emotions, it's the center of our thoughts, uh, our spirit. And so obviously a whole lot uh, could be said about the heart of Jesus, you know, volumes of books have been written. Uh, but I'm just going to focus on a few aspects uh, of Jesus that show us what his heart is like. So first of all, Jesus had a pure heart. He had a pure heart. His emotions, his thoughts, his spirit, uh, his entire being were, were marked by uh, perfect purity. And we, when we think about all of the pitfalls uh, Jesus had to avoid to keep his, his purity, uh, one example is Jesus was adored and followed by thousands of people who would have gladly made him king. Uh, Satan even offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, uh, but Jesus rejected it. He rejected uh, that offer. He rebuked Satan. Instead, uh, Jesus uh, lived a simple life of uh, service to his Father uh, while being content with simple things. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school, how um, at the end of, uh, what was it, chapter 7, Mike? Um, the, um, all the people were talking in the, in the temple. They all went off to their homes. Uh, Jesus went off to the Mount of Olives. We don't know exactly what he did there, but um, Mount of Olives was a pretty simple place. He went by himself, and he was content with that. Uh, Jesus was often with women. He was uh, very often with women, yet he was never accused of even one uh, lustful thought or action. Uh, Luke tells us in chapter 8 of his gospel that, that Jesus went on through cities and villages proclaiming the gospel with his disciples and a bunch of women. It says, and the twelve were there with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out. 
tradition uh, says that she was uh, a former prostitute. Uh, we don't know that for sure. Uh, and, and Joanna, the wife of uh, Chuza or Chuza, uh, Herod's household manager. So she was, you know, pretty up there in the, uh, in the elite. And then Susanna and many others uh, who provided, these women provided for them, him out of uh, their means. Yet Jesus was never accused of uh, uh, lustful actions. He was accused of a lot of things. Um, none of true, of course, but he was never even accused of uh, lustful actions. Uh, Peter, uh, who walked alongside Jesus for over three years, uh, described Jesus as a lamb unblemished and spotless. First uh, Peter. John, who was also with uh, Jesus for over three years, made the same conclusion. He wrote, and in him and in Jesus was no sin. And this, this perfect purity of heart allowed God the Father to accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And amen for that. The writer of Hebrews describes Jesus as holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. A um, hundred years ago, this uh, theologian named uh, James Denny wrote this. He said, this, this separateness from sinners is a stupendous thing. It is that very virtue in Christ that without which he would not be qualified to be a Savior, but would, like us, need to be saved. Now think about that for a minute. If Jesus wasn't perfect, he would need a Savior himself. And in fact, he is the Savior. The, blood, the body and blood of Jesus, because he was without sin, made an offering that satisfied God once and for all. And by that perfect offering, we are perfected and we are being sanctified or declared holy before God because of the purity of Jesus. So thank God for that. Second, uh, Jesus was always at peace. He was always at peace. Jesus had a pure heart, and his heart or his being, again, uh, was at peace. The prophet Isaiah called Jesus the Prince of Peace. Uh, when the disciples were, were freaking out during the storm, uh, Jesus you know, calmly woke up from his sleep and said to the storm, Peace, be still. And we know what happened after that. And then Jesus said, why are you so afraid? What's wrong with your faith? Have you, have you still no faith? In other words, I'm here with you. Why are you afraid? Be at peace. Uh, Jesus was at peace when he was arrested. Uh, Peter reacted fearfully and cut off the soldier's ear. Uh, Jesus you know, calmly healed the soldier and told Peter to put his wep weapon away. Jesus' heart was at peace. Uh, Jesus was abandoned. He was denied. He was wrongly accused. He was, he was spit upon. He was beaten. Yet he never reacted with vengeance. He was at peace. In, in fact, he forgives any who come to him seeking forgiveness, even those who may have formerly hated him. Uh, we see in the book of Luke that I've talked about in the past, that, that Jesus was calmly resolute in his purpose 
He was uh, steadfast and determined on his way to the cross, you know, guided by his mission uh, to seek and save the lost, as Luke 19 uh, points out. And Jesus was at peace when he said, uh, my time has not yet come, but also when he said, uh, it is finished. And his, uh, his peace, peaceful heart drew children to him uh, without fear, without fear of being rejected. And, and Jesus never grew weary of the, of the lame and the sick who came to him. He healed them. And sometimes he bid them, you know, sin no more. And of course, Jesus spoke words of peace. Uh, and these, these words uh, often provide much comfort to us. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. John 14, 27 and again in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's where our, our peace comes from. From Jesus' peace. Third, Jesus' heart was a heart of kindness. Kindness can be described as the quality of compassion and generosity. Uh, kindness is, is a characteristic of God's uh, dealings uh, towards the weak, the poor, and the oppressed. He was always uh, kind to, to the lowly. And that, that kindness is also shown in the words and deeds of Jesus, as we see in Matthew. Uh, Matthew 9.36, seeing the, seeing the people, he, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. I know that God showed His infinite kindness to me you know, some um, 20 years ago. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for me. And I should be able to, of course, uh, by the, the Holy Spirit of God leading me, I should be able to be kind in light of the kindness that Jesus has shown me. And Titus, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's Titus uh, 3, 4-5. through five. So Jesus shows His kindness in, in, in many ways. Uh, for the sick, uh, when He went ashore, He saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and he healed their sick. Matthew 14. Matthew 20. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. It's verse 34. He showed kindness for the hungry. Mark 8, uh, starting in verse 2. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And of course, 4,000 people were fed that day because of Jesus' kindness, His compassion, His provision. 
And even uh, uh, for those grieving for the dead, uh, Luke 7.13, when the Lord saw her, when he saw the widow, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. And then Jesus raised her son from the dead. And then fourth, Jesus was spiritual. And what I mean by spiritual is that Jesus' thoughts and actions always reflect, reflected his intimate relationship with God the Father. John 14, 11, Jesus said in John's gospel, uh, in the gospel, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Uh, during his temptation in the desert, Jesus was led by the Spirit and full of the Spirit, Matthew and Luke report. Luke says that Jesus returned from the desert and began his ministry in the power of the Spirit. And then shortly after, Jesus said of himself, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We're going to talk about those in a few weeks. And it was the habit of Jesus to go to worship at the synagogue. He was there all the time. It was his practice to memorize Scripture. Uh, we see this throughout the Gospels. Jesus constantly uh, quoting and appealing to the authority of Scripture, God's Word. And Jesus was always in communion with the Father. Mark says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. His, his times of prayer guided him. Uh, Mark said that when Jesus returned from that time of prayer, he announced it was time to move to another town. It wasn't time to move to another town unless it was confirmed by his Father. Another time, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. It says all night, he was there praying. And that prayer resulted in the selection of the disciples, the twelve, in Luke uh, 6. Jesus was so close to God the Father that he said, Very truly, I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does, John 5.19. And in the same chapter, he stated, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Everything Jesus did was according to the will of God the Father. Jesus' heart was pure, his heart was at peace. His heart was kind and spiritual. And lastly, Jesus' heart was ultimately sacrificial. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father.
So Jesus' heart was sacrificial. And again, Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. And then the, the Apostle Paul wrote of Jesus, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to Scriptures. So Jesus is ultimately sacrificial. And of course, so much more could be said, uh, but at the very least, Jesus, Jesus had a heart that was pure, peaceful, kind, spiritual, and sacrificial, even to the point of death on the cross. Praise God for that. So the next question is, how do we get, how do we get a heart like Christ? Pure, peaceful, kind, spiritual, sacrificial. So I don't know about you, but that's, that's pretty intimidating. It's easy to despair into thinking that our hearts are so far from Christ's heart. It's such a great distance. Jesus is pure, and we're constantly battling idols. Jesus is peaceful and at peace, and we're impatient, we're distracted, we're anxious, we're stressed out. Jesus is compassionate and kind. We're judgmental and don't want to be bothered. Jesus is spiritual, and we're so often focused on earthly things. And of course, Jesus is sacrificial, but we're selfish, and we're all about me and my needs. So the, this gap, this gap between the heart of Jesus and my heart is so huge. How can, I, how can there be any hope that I might have the heart of Jesus? Well, here's the deal. The faithful follower of Jesus already has the heart of Jesus. The faithful follower already has the heart of Jesus. If you are in Christ, you already have Christ's heart. It's, it's true. And do you believe that? Do you believe that you have the heart of Jesus? One of one of the greatest promises of God and that, that we often fail to realize is that if you have given your life to Jesus through faith in Him, Jesus has given Himself to you and to me. Jesus has made your heart His home. He said, Jesus said in John 14, If anyone loves Me, He will keep My word and My Father will love him and we will come to Him and make our home with him. Jesus also said in John, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. There's no doubt that we have Jesus in our hearts. And that day that Jesus is referring to there is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus goes on to say, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to you your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. 
let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And this promise, as we know, of the Holy Spirit was fulfilled in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. And those of us, again, who claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we share in the benefits of the indwelling Spirit, just as Jesus promised. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians, Christ lives in me. Amen. Galatians 2.20 So it's through the Holy Spirit that we might that we have that hope of having the heart of Christ. The writer of Romans says that God predestined believers, predestined believers to be conformed to the image of, our, of His Son. It's already happening even now. God's plan for us is to be like His Son Jesus. Paul encourages the church at Philippi. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on that day of, of Jesus Christ. I like this, this quote from Max Lucado. He writes, God loves you just the way you are, but He refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be like Jesus. God loves you just the way you are, but He refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. And that's what we're called to do in the community. Be like Jesus. In the community, whether it's in this neighborhood or your neighborhood, uh, in the world at large, we're Christ's representatives. Um, we are His ambassadors. Some versions use the term ambassadors. Paul says to the Corinthians, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. Isn't that amazing? God is making His appeal through us. He goes on, we speak for Christ. We speak for Christ when we plead to others, be reconciled to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And that's the message. That's the message as ambassadors of Christ that we're to, be, we're to share. Talk about a mission statement right there. As Christ's ambassadors, we speak for Him when we call people to be reconciled to God through faith and repentance and Jesus. Paul says God has given us this task. He's given us this task. So if the many aspects of of the heart of Christ culminated in His being the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ, then I can't think of a better way of being the heart of Christ and the heart of the community than being Christ's ambassadors through sharing the Gospel. 
uh, we were uh, discussing this at the business meeting the other night, and Eric challenged us. He challenged himself. He asked, so what are we going to do to be the heart of Christ and the heart of the community? How can we be more intentional with the gospel? The question was asked. In our communities, in our cities, our towns, our neighborhoods, where we work, our families. And then Ellie spoke up and said, we need to pray. Amen. <laughs> and she's right, we need to pray. That's what Jesus did. Before he did anything, he prayed. He sought God's will. Always seeking the will of his Father in heaven. Always seeking to do what God would have him do. I mean, the reality is there's a million different ways in our, our, our communities. Uh, creative ways, conventional ways where we could serve and love and um, try to have an impact on our community. It can be overwhelming. I mean, where, where, where do you begin? So I would encourage us to pray. Pray for God's will. And there's a million different good ways, but we can't do them all. We can't be involved in everything. We pray, pray for God's will. So what if every morning when we woke up, we asked the Lord to show us ways in which we could be his ambassador just for that day, just for that morning even? What if a few times a day we ask, Lord, help me to be open to the Spirit's leading and give me the desire, the courage, the love to be your ambassador? What if we said that prayer a few times a day? What if we said, Lord, help me, help this church be the heart of Christ and the heart of the community? What if that could be our prayer every day? Amen? Let's pray. Father, it can be overwhelming. We're a small church. And we already do many, many things. Lord, on behalf of your kingdom. Lord, but we ask that you give us wisdom and your guidance. Lord, to help serve you further. Lord, we ask that you help us uh, gain a under, uh, better understanding of, of what it is to be the heart of Christ and the heart of the community, Lord. Whether that community is just our home, our neighborhoods, where we work, Lord, no matter where that is, Lord, help us to be ambassadors of Christ, Lord. What a, what a huge responsibility, but what a privilege that is, Lord, to be your ambassador, Lord. We thank you for choosing us, and we trust in your help. We trust in your Holy Spirit to help us with that, Lord, as we seek him. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this great privilege you have given us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.